What is going on, gang? It's your guy, Liam, here with Zach, my co-host, and Taylor. Um, this is the social gathering. So, guys, how's everybody doing today? That's my first question for you. I'm doing pretty fine and dandy. I'm also doing pretty fine and dandy. I was a little feeling a little sick earlier, but I'm good now. All right, tell me a little bit more about that. I want to hear about it. It was, it was kind of weird. Uh, I was I didn't really do much today. I had uh, my Zoom class with all my uh, fellow classmates that can't think for themselves, <laughs> and uh, I was just getting like I had the sweats a little bit, a little bit of nausea. I had a headache pretty much since this morning, but I went for a nice little walk, got some fresh air. Super nice today. And yeah, and that kind of helped it. Plus, Guitar Hero. Lucky you, man. It was a very cloudy day here in Minneapolis, and uh, nothing particularly cool happened. Taylor, how was your day? It was pretty good. Um, I work full-time, so I was just sitting on my couch. My apartment isn't quite big enough for me to justify getting a table, so literally my work setup is one dinner tray that I got from my grandma having a <laughs> monitor on it and another TV <laughs> dinner tray with my laptop on it for work. And then I've got a nice window between the two so that I can watch TV while I work, while I sit on the couch. Nice. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'd be lying if I said I have never used a dinner tray as a, a stand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, I don't have a table. So that's actually what my laptop is sitting on right now as we're talking. Hopefully it's like structurally sound. Yeah, it's what I use 99% of the time. I'm either sitting on my kitchen counter or... I'm sitting on the couch and using the TV dinner stands. <laughs> so I know you said you had a weird day today. I definitely had a weird day. Um, and for context, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. So what happened in my town today was around uh, like three o'clock, maybe there's this like awful car accident in our like downtown area and Ooh. someone died and there was two air Air, uh, airlifts um, that had to come and take people to hospitals, which was insane because I'm in a town. Not a lot happens here. Yeah. So when that kind of thing happens, like it's it's everywhere. It's big news. And then there's like a fire with helicopters flying around it again. Um, so yeah, we're, we're day in the GTA. <laughs> That's greater Toronto area, not the video game. <laughs> <laughs> Though, you know what? It probably did look like a GTA game, though, for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you had something, someone running around stealing cars? Or helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a GTA thing to do, is to steal a helicopter and then airlift people to the hospital. Yeah, I feel like that was 90% of that game. It was like, okay, you can either play the storyline or you can just screw around. And it was mm -hmm. way more fun to just screw around. It's the beauty of open world. Yeah. I feel like it's the same for Breath of the Wild. I just finished the game lately. I'm a pretty late Switch user. I just got it back in December because I thought I'd be able to get it on sale for Christmas. But uh, they still didn't have a Christmas sale, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> and I, I had a lot of fun, played the heck out of it, and then, uh, I mean, I it's like i haven't done everything but once you've beat the big boss what else you feel accomplished it's like you don't feel like you have to go back and do anything 
Oh, see, I was the other way around when I played that game. After I beat it, I ended up probably just dinking around Hyrule forever. And, oh, that game, you can sink so many freaking hours into it. Okay, I have a question. You said that you beat it, right? Yeah. Did it give you a save from the beaten game, or did did it just take you back to before you beat the boss? I think it takes you back to just before you beat the boss. Yeah, because I found that part really weird, how it didn't just have a kind of a restored castle or whatever. Yeah, I think it's so that you can just kind of keep going and do whatever you want afterwards. But I feel like you'd be able to do that anyway. I I think what would have been a really good ending is if um, the whole regeneration full moon thing just stopped, and then you could actually kill the monsters for good. See, but then what are you going to do with your life? (laughs) I was only able to find 80 shrines. 20 of them are impossible for me to find. Oh, see, I feel like half the joy that I found in that game was actually my second time playing through it and just trying to break it as much as I could. To break it? Yeah. So one of my favorite ways to break it was to get to the Zelda domain. I mean, the Zora domain. Rather than going up the river, use the... It's the frozen thing where you can create the ice blocks. Use that yeah. to climb up the waterfall on the back of the plateau. I wish I had thought of that, man. That's great. <laughs> it breaks things so much. But it's <laughs> a pain in the butt. It took me like a solid hour the first time that I did it because I kept falling off. Time well spent. Oh, yeah. I feel like you can never really go wrong just dumping hours into that game because you just, it's endless. I remember one of my favorite ways that I broke the game. It was in one of the dungeons. You're supposed to find two batteries to help power this door. And instead I said, screw it. And I found one battery, dropped every metal item that I had and created a circuit between the two posts (laughs) and did it with one battery. (laughs) That's really funny. That's so excessive. Oh, yeah. The fact that the game lets you do it, too. Uh, Yeah, I was just going to say. I love that about that game. The fact that it's just like, eh, you can you can do whatever you want. Yeah, it's like you can. I mean, we don't recommend it, but you could. <laughs> now, I think rumor has it is that when they first brought, I don't think it was Miyamoto. When, it might have been, actually. They first brought, like, the head honcho of Nintendo over to come beta test the game. And all he did was just climb trees for hours. He was like, this is amazing. <laughs> you can climb a tree. <laughs> you know the the biggest thing where i've seen that they broke in the game is they use the what's the s1 the yellow one you know what i'm talking about where you freeze things and you hit them oh yeah yeah so uh they'd take that one and then they'd uh freeze a tree or whatever and then they'd hit a tree bunch take an arrow aim it upwards hit like the top of the tree so that you would go up they'd climb onto the tree and it'd send you flying in the air then you just if you have enough endurance, you choose your paraglider to go wherever. Oh. Yeah. That is brilliant. I know, right? Who needs to climb a mountain when you can just make a rocket? Exactly. <laughs> there's there's another one where they stack two minecarts on top of each other. Oh, yeah. And you're able to use your magnesis to fly around wherever. But it has to be perfect. Yeah, I've seen that one where he's like chasing down the dragon. And so he's like snowboarding down the mountain and then he has to hurry and pick them all up. It's ridiculous how people will play with that game. 
Yeah, just watch the uh, the speed runs. That's what I've been doing. I've been waiting to beat the game until um, I let myself watch the speed runs because I didn't want to ruin it for myself. Uh, but like, man, they're they're crazy. Um, getting to the shrines, they like clip into it with an axe. Like they don't actually go up to it and activate it. What? And so, yeah, it's really weird to see um, how they're breaking the game as they're playing it to go faster. I feel like watching those speedruns can be one of the most eye-opening things with just how broken these games are. Like, one of my friends will beat Super Mario 64. I think his record is, like, 30 minutes. Because, again, you just, oh, clip, yeah, you just clip through doors. And so he can beat it and only have beaten, like, six levels. Does it have to do with the, quote, endless stairs? Because I... I think there's a way to clip through it, right? You have to go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. Because I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, wait, 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 wait. What? You can do that? Oh, yeah. There, that game is broken, that one. And I think, I think the world record for the most glitchy game is still Donkey Kong 64, though. Because that one will just randomly crash. Or it'll randomly push you through walls, or you'll fall through the floor. Like, you can do some weird stuff on DK64. So is Donkey Kong 64, like, the same as Mario 64? Just yeah. Donkey Kong? Pretty much. <laughs> oh. Genius. It sounds like it never caught on. <laughs> it's one of the best games ever, though. Like, in my memory, it was the first... Oh, this is going to be weird. It was like my first shooter, a Donkey Kong game of all things. <laughs> because the multiplayer mode, one of them, like each character has their own quote unquote gun. Like you've got a coconut uh, grenade launcher or a blowgun <laughs> that shoots grapes, depending on which monkey you are. And you can run around the stages and shoot each other. And that was like <laughs> my first shooting experiences. I was like, wow, I've got a bazooka that shoots out watermelons. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> interesting that you say that i've always been into games that have bows rather than guns so like breath of the wild perfect example i love the bow mechanics in that um, oh yeah and then oh minecraft that was the first one where i was really impressed with it because like if you get a nice bow and you shoot it right you can snipe you know a monster or something from meters and meters away i i loved the feeling of being able to uh get a really long shot and get it perfect Oh, nothing is more satisfying. Or like in Breath of the Wild, I really love the slowdown mechanic if you pull out your bow in the air. Oh, dude, it's so satisfying. Nothing is more satisfying than playing peekaboo yes. behind, peek behind a rock and sniping a guardian in the face. Yeah, totally, man. Um, Have you heard of Mario 64? They actually made a, a... I guess they retextured it, and now it looks amazing. Really? I know that they did a remaster quote i think it was a remaster or just a re-release on the 3ds but i didn't know that they'd updated the graphics that much yeah yeah it it's a like you need a really nice pc to run it now but it looks super nice it's like odyssey but if it were way better ooh, i might have to look into that because i do a little bit of emulation um i actually just got a new raspberry pi this week <laughs> and then what you'll do is you'll just upload an emulation software to it and you can play as many old video games as you want the most recent update lets you play up to n64 
And so I'm super excited because up until now, the best I've been able to do is like PlayStation one. And so I play a crap ton of Tony Hawk, but finally I'll be able to play Pokemon snap as weird as that sounds. That's the game that I'm most excited for Pokemon photography. (laughs) (laughs) Funny. You should say that though. Um, They actually took it down. The Mario 64 uh, re-graphic thing. Unfortunately, they took it down. Yeah, Nintendo got all uh, stiffy about it. They've been doing that a lot more ever since they started doing virtual console stuff with the Switch. I think it was like a year and a half, two years ago, there, there was like this great purge where all emulation stuff for Nintendo products just instantly got taken down because they started threatening lawsuits where it was going to be like a couple million per emulator. And so these websites that were just hosting them for free, we're going to have to shell out billions upon trillions. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, I think for everything that Nintendo does wrong, they do a lot of things right, though. So it's kind of like a bittersweet thing with Nintendo because it's like, I really wish they just allow more things. But Mm -hmm. I also see from a business perspective why they would be still stingy about it. I find it weird, too, especially with kind of their company persona. Because to me, Nintendo is the odd man out in the console war. Like, it almost feels like they're not even in the console game. Because you've got, like, Sony and you've got Microsoft that I feel are constantly going at each other between PlayStation and Xbox. Mm -hmm. And then it honestly feels like Nintendo is just off, like, chasing a butterfly while this giant (laughs) war rages on. Because, like, they're always different. Like, you look at each of their consoles, the last thing that even remotely looked like a traditional console was the GameCube, and that was like 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Other than that, we've gotten the Wii, we've gotten the Wii U, the Switch. Do you think the Xbox has any life left? Like the classic Xbox? No, I'm talking like Xbox in general or Project Scarlet or whatever they're calling it. Oh, uh, I I think that they're because I think the problem with Xbox is that their exclusives are kind of getting stale. Yeah, it's just a fresh paint on every game that they own. Because like, okay, well, you've got the Halo franchise, which is exclusive to Xbox, but with the exception of a few changes recently, I've been playing through all of them. Really, each game is just a fresh coat of paint. Or you look at the Call of Duty games, which granted are an exclusive, but each one is essentially just a fresh cone of paint. And then they throw in some mumbo jumbo about game engines and <laughs> pretend it supposedly like it's better. runs better, but really qualitatively, it's the same thing. Whereas I feel like with Sony, at least, their exclusives have a little bit more nuance. Like in this last generation, you had the Kingdom Uncharted. Hearts game. You had Uncharted, the Spider-Man PS4 game. Oh, yeah, that was big. Oh, I dumped so many hours into that game. It was amazing. (laughs) When you're talking about Donkey Kong, it reminded me of that Donkey Kong game that came out with the bongos. (laughs) Oh, that thing is such a bizarre game. Did you ever play it? I never did. I never got the concept. I played it at my cousin's house. But I never like sat down and played it from beginning to end because I never owned it. But again, that's another example of Nintendo just being like, what should we do next? 
don't know. <laughs> Let's make a video game where screw the controller. Let's just give him a couple of bongos. Who doesn't like the bongos? That's what you guys mean. <laughs> I was very confused because you guys just, you know, the Donkey Kong game with the bongos. Yeah. All of them have bongos. Oh, no. Like the <laughs> controller is bongos. Yeah. They said, screw the controller. And they just made him just run automatically. And you would tap the bongo in different places to make him jump or run faster or attack. It was a okay. bizarre little idea. Because I, I always saw like as for it, but I never understood how it would work. I don't think anybody understands how it works. <laughs> I think it's just crazy random happenstance luck that people actually managed to beat that game with any sense of consistency. I remember going to a friend's house when I was 12 years old and he booted up his Xbox and he started Halo. And to me, that was like the coolest thing ever as a 12 year old. I don't remember which Halo it was, but it was Halo. It was a game and it was pretty cool. And that made me want to get a 360 and I ended up getting one. But now you look back on Halo and it's like, it, it sucks, you know? And so I guess it, in what ways do you guys think the game market has evolved and changed? If we're looking at the game market as a whole, I feel like not a lot of evolution has honestly happened there. Like every genre essentially has its own thing. The difference is almost i mean even with control setup the most different control setup i've seen is in dark souls and that just feels like they just wanted you to feel pain <laughs> yeah but other than that like you kind of have your genres and it's pretty transferable between the different genres mm -hmm. people don't like to relearn things like they don't want to have to relearn how to play a game controller wise because they just want to get right mm. to the the meat of it at least i do i can't think of the last time i'm i'm almost excluding nintendo from this because again nintendo just kind of does their own thing yeah but i can't think of the last time that i had to go through a genuine tutorial Mm-hmm. that was me with breath of the wild man like, because having 2D platformers be my main game from that point, like going from a 3D open world, you, you know, what it, you can't even really describe what that game is. Um, but man, it felt so weird to play for the first time. So you're a 2D platformer guy that his first 3D experience was Breath of the Wild? No, 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 no. Uh, first one was probably Mario 64. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes much more sense. I was like, how did you last this long in life <laughs> and not play anything beyond a 2D side-scroller? Yeah, I would have been on that path, but my friend gave me, um, I think it was for the DS uh, 64, and it that was one of the most fun experiences. Like, to me, Zelda Breath of the Wild is what Mario 64 was, but just today. <laughs> I feel like it had that same level of evolution though, because all of a sudden it broke what really linear gaming where Mario 64 kind of destroyed this concept of 2d gaming. And this is what a platformer is. It redefined the genre and created a new one called the 3d platformer. 
Breath of the Wild did the same thing and went from linear storytelling to just complete open world. You do you. Here's an endpoint if you ever choose to get to it. Did you guys get ever into uh, Skyrim? I haven't played that one. I will say that I have it. Did you guys know that there's an Alexa version that you can play on your Alexa? <laughs> what? <laughs> no way. Oh, yeah. If you get bored after this, look up Skyrim Very Special Edition. Key, Very special. Keegan Michael Key from Key and Peel. Key did this E3 commercial. I think it was like two years ago because the meme at the time was, oh, I wonder what version of Skyrim we're going to get this year. And it starts <laughs> yeah. out where he like reaches to the Xbox controller and then he's like, no. And then he reaches for the Wii controller. He's like, no. Then just goes, Alexa? play skyrim (laughs) (laughs) and it's essentially dungeons and dragons but with skyrim like oh Oh. (laughs) now my alexa in the other room is talking to me (laughs) (laughs) apparently i'm at a a crossroad and it's asking if i want to stab the monster or not with my sword (laughs) (laughs) you know funny you should bring up dungeons and dragons um we've talked about this before with uh with the different uh, podcaster, if you will, and the only conclusion that me and Zach have gotten out of Dungeons and Dragons in our whole life is that we don't know anything about it. Mm, that's not a far off conclusion. I played it a couple of times. I served a ch- a mission for my church, and on our days off, I was in one area that was just the backwoods of Virginia, and the only other people around us were the other missionaries. And that's what we chose to do on our days off because there was just nothing else to do. That's pretty cool. It's such a weird experience, but at the same time, it's like, huh, you can do whatever the heck you want. Like one of the guys that I was serving with, he was like, you know, this giant bear, just to say, screw it. I'm going to use my lightning hands and just grip its testicles really hard. (laughs) And that killed the bear. (laughs) And that's the thing. It's this just completely nonlinear, you do you, boo, and get to the end if you want. Right. That's funny you should mention that, um, because Dungeons & Dragons, to me, seems so secular. Like, Mm -hmm. when I hear that, I envision a a whole bunch of Christians playing, like, what do you call it? Oh, Cards Against Humanity. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because that game can get so deep into some, like, weird shit. Oh, yeah. No, I think my favorite medium for explaining Dungeons & Dragons is on the TV show Community. If you've ever seen that show, they have an episode where they all play Dungeons & Dragons together. And it's absolutely amazing because it perfectly captures what it's like to play Dungeons & Dragons. Is Community the one that Donald Glover was in? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's got Donald Glover, Chevy Chase... Um, it's got the Russo brothers directing most of the episodes. So the guys that gave us Avengers, they did this like side comedy on, on, oh, I think it was NBC or CBS. It was one of the two where they did this just random sitcom for like five years. Oh, and they also had um, Dr. Oh, I forgot his name. Oh, Ken Jeong. Ken Jong, yeah. I didn't want to say Kim. <laughs> <laughs> Kim Jong-un? Oh, yeah. Okay. Random side note on Kim Jong-un. Is he alive? 
Oh, I don't know. Because they had his body, they had him come out to a public event. No but way. I, I watched it. It looks like a body double. I'm 99% sure that he's dead or at least comatose. And they're just trying to fake it so that the country doesn't just fall apart. For like a weekend at Bernie's? Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> With Kim Jong un. Imagine like his bodyguards dragging around his comatose body. And he's not a light fella either. Oh no. I heard that when he first went into his coma, because we know that he went comatose, like mm-hmm. no doctors in North Korea knew how to operate on him because oh. he's just huge compared to any other person out there. That's a taste of zone medicine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd I'd rather have him over his sister, though. His sister's an absolute maniac. Really? Yeah. Compared to compared to him? Compared to him. He has a god complex. She just doesn't care. I don't really know anything about their family. The brother was Kim Jong-un's brother was Didn't he have him killed? Yeah, I heard so. It was his sister that killed them. She fed him to the hungry dogs. Oh, she herself literally did that. Yeah, so there's reasons why I'm more scared of her. The brother, one of his brothers, was disowned and banished from the country, though, because he wanted to go to Disneyland. So he jumped the border illegally into (laughs) China so that he could go to Shanghai Disney. I mean, if there's any reason to defect. Oh, Disney. Easy. Disney. (laughs) Who doesn't need a little bit of the happiest place on earth? Yeah, for real. (laughs) Most expensive place on earth. Am I right, guys? (laughs) It's not cheap. Oh, no. My family used to go there every year, and it surprises me because my parents are kind of cheapskates. But I think the only reason we did it is because my aunt works there. And Mm. so she would get our family in for free. So it was like this yearly pilgrimage that my family would make where we would drive out to California and stay with my aunt and uncle. And then she would get us into Disneyland the next day. And then we'd go to the beach the next day and then drive all the way back to Utah. (laughs) Well, it's Utah. I guess it's not that bad. It's 12 hours. I wonder how my dad would kill us. (laughs) Yeah. And you probably didn't have like the the DVD players in the cars then. Oh no. It was just singing camp songs for 12 hours. Wonderful. Oh yeah. Again, I wonder how my parents didn't kill us. Yeah, I, I bet Kumbaya gets sick uh, after the <laughs> fifth time. After 500 bottles of beer on the wall, <laughs> something's gonna break. Hey, at least they weren't the type of parents that handed you a tablet and said, fuck off. (laughs) That's true. Oh, no. No. Do you guys think that those parents are a problem in society? I think that they are in a large degree because it teaches children not to face stuff. Uh, I work in higher education, so on college campuses, and it drives me insane every time a parent calls in behalf of their child. Really? That happens? All the freaking time. Like, I would say at least half of my phone calls are the parent calling in behalf of the child. 
And I'm like, your child is old enough to go to college. Like they can call an office and ask about their transcript. That's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. No, the worst was the other day where it was the mom, the student and the dad. And they all asked me the same question. So it was like, I answered the phone and it was mom. And she asked me this one question. She's like, okay, my son has a question now. And they passed it off to the son. And he asked me the same exact question. Like, okay, my dad just has a quick question for you as well. And the dad asked me the same question. I was like, hey guys, why don't you just put me on speaker and I'll just answer all of your questions at once. (laughs) Do you think like in those situations, um, those children, or I guess they're adults, they're like the first in their family to be going to post-secondary school? I think that would make a lot more sense where the parents are just a little bit more on the nervous side. And I would hope that that's the case, but I can never be certain. My, my mom was the same way when I went to college. So I'm, I'm sorry for that. Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, on, on behalf of the other side, I don't necessarily want her doing that or at the time I didn't want her doing that. And it was, I don't know, as a kid, it's like, yeah, like, I'm old enough to be doing this myself. Like, you know, and I've to- I, I told her many times when I was in college, I said, you don't have to be doing this. And she'd find some type of excuse to just be included in, you know, my schooling, which I understand. I totally get it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, I, I get that she wants to be included. I also get that. I'm an independent person. I also get that it's pretty annoying for the school to be getting all these calls from parents. Yeah. And I guess my parents were just different. And that might be because I come from a super big family. Uh, I'm the middle of nine kids. And I feel like part of the reason. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like part of the reason I was so independent is because my parents were just like, yeah, we don't really have the energy to deal with you. So have fun. (laughs) We'll focus on your little siblings and, call us occasionally i guess like when i left for college i it was literally like the morning of i was driving away and my parents were like oh yeah you should probably give us a hug here's 20 bucks buy yourself a snack on the way up there <laughs> huh don't let the authority on the way out yeah <laughs> i wish man I don't know. I texted my mom so much when I was still in college because I worked for pretty much the same office, just a different campus when I was a student worker as now that I'm full time. And there were so many times where I would leave work and I would just call my mom and be like, mom, thanks for letting me be an adult. Like, <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> so, Liam, were you the first person in your family to go to college? Nope. Interesting. So we can cross that theory off the list. <laughs> I'll say this, though. I'll say this. I may be the first one to graduate. Okay. Well, hmm. I don't know if that would affect my theory, but... <laughs> because unless your parents have, like, precognitive where they're like, this is the one. Oh, those are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know for a fact that, that that's not my... Um, Either of my parents, but I had a friend whose mom was exactly like that. Um, my my friend was, I mean, he was kind of a weird dude, and he tried letting his mom in on some of the things that 
I guess, made him so weird. And his mom totally judged him for all those things and then went down to the younger brother of my friend. And the younger brother was, like, looking pretty good. Like, he was in choir. He was a straight-A student. Um, He's looking to be on Broadway. I don't know if he's going to make it. But he's looking to do that. And basically, even though he was still living in the house, she kind of just disowned him and treated him like shit because... The other kid was the star kid. Hmm. That's really odd. I can't say that I've ever seen that happen, but yeah, I've I mean, seen like crazy parents like that. I had one roommate where he and his mom would probably talk for about three hours a day on the phone. Kid, he would FaceTime <laughs> his cat. It's like, Justin, you are the weirdest kid that I have ever met. <laughs> Justin, not... Not pointing to anybody in particular, but Justin, you. <laughs> you're kind of weird. <laughs> it's like, you're a weird kid, but at the same time, you are one of the nicest human beings I have ever met. Sometimes you just got to FaceTime your cat. Oh, yeah. Though I never FaceTimed my dog when I was in college. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't say I've ever done that. Right now, I've got a fish, but I don't think I would ever FaceTime him just to be like, hey, Calvin, you doing okay in there? <laughs> remember to eat your food that i left in there no and okay me- and meanwhile he's like who the hell is this guy i know don't they like not remember who like they can't recognize people i don't think they do because there are times where i'll like stand up from the couch to go get a drink while i'm at work since i'm working from home and all of a sudden he'll like look at me and then he'll just freak out and like run into his cave and i'm like <laughs> dude you've been living with me for two months it's not like i'm a stranger <laughs> Imagine, like, coming home and your parents just, or even just yourself, like, your memory is wiped every, like, ten minutes. So, like, (laughs) just periodically you'd just be like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) My family used to have this chihuahua. Oh, my goodness. This thing was a joke. What? Ever since the day that we got it fixed, it couldn't run right? As mean as that sounds, but, like... It's almost like they clipped a nerve or something because he would take three steps and then he'd like skip and then you do it again. And like every three steps, he'd like twitch and just skip for whatever reason. I never gave it a reason to be scared of me. But for whatever reason, whenever I would walk into the house, whenever I'd be coming back to visit from college, it would look at me, pee, start shaking and <laughs> boom. Wow. But since my family had hardwood floors, it can't turn corners. And so when it started to run away, it would like slide and ram into the walls on its way. <sighs> oh. It's like, what did I ever do to you? Zach, I have a question for you. Shoot. Have you heard of Alzheimer's? Because that's yes. pretty much what you just described a second ago. Yeah, pretty much. My grandma has Alzheimer's, so I'm familiar. Have you guys ever known anybody who's had amnesia? I haven't. Well, actually, sort of. My grandfather had a stroke, so I don't know if that counts, but... <laughs> I don't think so, man. Well, he couldn't remember stuff. Like, he didn't, didn't know what his name was. Uh, he couldn't, like, remember things that he liked. Could it have been that he just hit his head, or...? No, he literally had a stroke. Hmm. Like, went to the hospital and stuff. No, no, no. I mean, like, did he fall down or anything? Uh, Not hard. He kind of, like, slumped against the wall and slid to the ground. Okay. So that's more what I was asking. Oh, okay. No, yeah. Um, 
It was, uh, I believe, the temporal lobe that the, um, like the the where the site of the stroke was, and I think that's uh, that yeah. affects memories and stuff and personality. Mm-hmm. No, strokes can do different things to different people. I studied psychology sure. in in college. Okay, good. So you can check me. <laughs> so yeah, that that all checks out. It just kind of depends on on the person, like you said, like where the stroke is. When my grandpa had his stroke, I don't know if his was stroke so much as it was dementia, but his mm. personality completely changed. Yeah, we were lucky in that he he's it happened like maybe two months ago, three months ago. Um, and he's like pretty much back to normal, like he's himself, but like he can't really move his right side. Um, mm. But yeah, that's tough. Hey, I had a very similar story. My grandfather about six months ago, uh, seven, eight, somewhere in there, um, just kind of fell at his head when he was in his garage. It was that simple, but he was in the hospital for about a month and a half. And wow. And yeah, they were even talking about like, you know, he might make it, but he might not. And so my dad, it was on my dad's side. He actually flew over and um, spent a good like two weeks with him in between and just like to kind of make sure that he's doing okay and that he's recovering. Um, But over time, he's recovered really well and he's pretty much back to normal now. So that's really cool to see. The only thing that uh, it's probably really selfish. Um, my my grandpa always usually sends like these really, really nice birthday cards, and he hit his head like five days before my birthday, and I was like, man, I'm not gonna hear his sweet, sweet, awesome writing, yeah. and he's in the hospital. Like this is terrible. This sucks on all ends. Did he have dementia from that? I mean, not dementia. Sorry, uh, amnesia. No, no, he did not. Okay. Nope. So was the amnesia question just out of curiosity? Yeah. I don't think you can, I don't think you can, like, contract amnesia, can you? You can, but it's usually more from, like, a stroke. That's usually oh, what okay. causes it more than anything. Or maybe a concussion, but it's usually yeah. pretty severe. Like, there's a slew of movies about people that lose their memories from car crashes. Yeah. I'm sure a you could Google movies for that basis. somewhere of, like, amnesia movies. <laughs> yeah. Begin again. Um, that's all I can remember off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm going to say, the only one that's coming to my mind isn't even an amnesia movie. For whatever reason, it's Freaky Friday. I'm like, that is nothing. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Not even Friday. Um, there was one game that I didn't even watch. I just watched someone play it when I was younger, and it was literally just called Amnesia. So that was how I kind of got an idea of what it was. Huh. It's got to be, like, the most bizarre experience. No, it's just kind of creepy. It, it it's not. It doesn't display it very well. It's just more of a horror being, uh, just general horror game. I mean having Amnesia. <laughs> Hmm. Well, that too. <laughs> Just going to like, I think it would almost be harder though for the people around you. 
it's hard on everyone i think yeah yeah especially like especially like people like significant others and but yeah especially loved ones it's gonna suck when someone looks at you and like they don't recognize you like yeah um so i want to move on to a different topic so taylor you said that one of the things that you like to do is look at comics and analyze them oh yeah so could you tell us a little bit more about that so yeah of course so i run a podcast where one of my favorite things to do on it is to interview people that you know, either grew up reading comic books or they're recent into comic books and figure out which characters they like and then why they like those characters at that phase of life. And really you can find that everybody that has a favorite character, it's because they relate to those characters. So one of the things that you'll find a lot, or at least that I found a lot, is that most kids at some point in life, we'll go through a Spider-Man phase and it's usually right around like the preteen to teenage era. And I really do think that it's because Spider-Man is one of the few teenage superheroes. And so kids can attach to him and they can say, Oh, this is, this is what it's like for me, you know, being an outsider, because I think that that's one of the common experiences that every teenager goes through is that outsider feeling. And so Spider-Man or the X-Men can give you that kind of a sense. But beyond that, I feel like comic books are a phenomenal way to explore just morality or just really good themes. What's up, gang? It's your guy, Liam, alongside your other guy, Zach. And today, I figured I'd take a step back. You know, I'm usually the person asking the first question. It's always been me. And though I really enjoy doing it, I figured today, I'd hand it over to Zach. So, Zach, what's the first question going to be today? You're so generous. Well, I guess first we should introduce our guest, Marinella. Thank you for joining us. Um, Marinella, you're from Montreal, correct? Wait, we have another guest? We do. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, shoot. Marinella, how's it going today? Uh, good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so you're in Montreal. Uh, what's going on in Montreal? Yep. Um, I mean, just like everywhere else, Montreal's still kind of in a lockdown. Um, right. rest of Quebec is opening up, but because Montreal is the hotbed for Canada, um, it's the city is a bit more locked down than the rest of like the countryside, but everyone is out in the parks because of the nice weather and we can drink in the parks as long as you have food. So everyone's like out and about. So basically in my opinion, they should just like open the the lockdown because no one seems to be following social distancing anyways. But, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Can you say that again? You were in, you can, you can drink in the park as long as you have food. Yeah. And as long as you can, as long as you have food is very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Flexible. So it could be like a bag of chips. Like it doesn't have to be actual <laughs> okay. like hamburgers and ribs and pizza. Like it could just be like candy. <laughs> have you ever like been willing to test that limit? Like pack of gum kind of thing? <laughs> oh, well, no. Well, usually when you're drinking, you want to like munch on some chips or something anyway. So, um, right. no, I haven't just done like a pack of gum, but, uh, <laughs> but I have drank in the park with like just a bag of chips or like a bag of candy. So, yeah. You know, I think it'd be wonderful 
if you did beer chips along with beer. <laughs> I'm sure someone has done that. And uh, weed is legal, so there's people drinking and smoking too. So It's a big party in Canada. Is weed flavor a thing up there yet? <laughs> uh, it is in Florida, actually. I've had a, a weed-flavored beer before. <laughs> doesn't really taste like it but it like smells like it and that's that's bizarre yeah it's kind of weird to experience but that's like uh that's like how us americans do ketchup chips hmm see ketchup chips aren't as gross as you think no they're uh, not. i find them pretty gross <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah i don't like them it's like salt and vinegar but red not at all i love salt and vinegar it, <laughs> No, ketchup is not. I mean, I love ketchup, but as a chip form, no, 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 no. And you guys have another kind of chip, right? You guys have an all-around chip. All dressed, yes. Yep. Mm, that's good, yeah. So what's all in there? Apparently it's all of the flavors, but I don't know. It's What's all of the flavors? So like barb, it's definitely barbecue and salt vinegar. Yeah. Those are the two I'm really yeah. getting. Um Garlic but other thing? than that, yeah, I guess. <laughs> like it's like the picture of it is always like a barbecue on the on the bag. So I guess the barbecue flavors, <laughs> onion. Have you ever had all dressed chips, Liam? I haven't. Uh, whenever I go just over the border, um, to go fishing, sometimes actually I just get the ketchup chips. I just stock up on those. <laughs> When I was in school, um, I would bring like back food from Canada that they didn't have in the states. So I would bring. Like what? Um, you guys don't have Smarties, uh, but you do have Smarties, but they're different. <laughs> so what you guys call Smarties, we call rockets, and what we call Smarties are kind of like M and M's, but they're better in my opinion. What's your opinion on the on the M and M Smarty thing, Marinella? The the thing with Smarties is that uh, people like to snort them. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, coming from America, like originally American, I I don't know. I guess I'd have to go with M and M's. But honestly, M and M's aren't like my favorite candy. I prefer like actual chocolate like hershey's or snickers or what have you um but so i'm gonna have to wave the white flag on the smarties and the m&m <laughs> <laughs> debate yeah did you ever try the the whole smoking smarties thing smoking wait well, i thought it was just snorting i guess you could snort them if you're insane but <laughs> uh basically you'd smoke them too well sort of you don't really inhale it but you kind of just, Ugh. like, take a little bit of it in your mouth and you can blow it out and it looks like smoke. It's really, really bad for you, but <laughs> it looks cool. Which is all that matters when you're nine, right? Yeah, that's true. You always just want to fit in and be popular. Look at me smoking spurties. <laughs> Super cool. Fitting in. Uh, what about doing orange juice? <laughs> like, injecting it. Oh. You guys heard of that? No. No. <laughs> I don't even think it does anything. Maybe make you, like, hyperglycemic. <laughs> yeah, maybe just, like, throw you off the walls with a sugar rush, but... 
I don't know. Do you know people that have done that? I don't. I don't. <laughs> I just heard it from word of mouth. Uh, we also have a chocolate bar called Coffee Crisp. I think you'd like that mm. one. Yeah, that's good. Coffee Crisp is like, it's literally what it sounds like. Is It's like a, a wafer chocolate bar, but it's like coffee flavored. I don't think there's any caffeine in it, though. Probably just the placebo of, oh, I'm having something that's coffee flavored. Yeah, I I wonder if there's a double blind study out there <laughs> of the uh, placebo effects versus the actual effects of coffee crisp. See, that's me when it comes to coffee flavored ice cream. I die for coffee flavored ice cream, especially when it has little coffee beans in it. Mm-hmm, mm, it's those wonderful. are good. Yeah. Have you ever had uh, chocolate covered coffee beans? No. Those mm, are good. That sounds like a a rush. A big rush. <laughs> uh, I didn't have enough to find out. Um, I mean, I guess next time I'll I'll have to test it out. <laughs> so there's there's that right. <laughs> what about just <laughs> sorry? What about just straight up eating coffee grounds? Coffee grounds? I don't know about that, chief. <laughs> It's something that people were doing a few years ago. It was uh, kind of a trend, but it didn't really pick up. What? Oh, in uh, George of the Jungle, he eats coffee grounds. <laughs> Do you remember that movie? With uh, what's it's his been name? a while. Brendan Fraser. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he he's like living in this apartment in Ursula's Ursula's apartment, and he gets these new pair of Nikes and goes through her apartment and just finds this tin of coffee grounds and just eats the whole thing and he gets so hyped up and he's just running all out like around the city climbs on the golden gate bridge <laughs> it's a crossover between george and the jungle and my little mermaid or is this a different ursula it's a different ursula <laughs> okay. ursula just right. the name <laughs> um you had me really confused there <laughs> I've tried eating coffee beans, though. Not grounds, but the beans. How were they? Honestly, not bad. And I found it surprising because I remember being a kid and eating a coffee bean and thinking it was, like, the grossest thing I've ever had in my life. Like, I couldn't even swallow it. I had to spit it out. What about smoking coffee? Oh, (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know if... uh... I don't know if that would even work, to be honest. Maybe. All right, guys. This is Stupid Drug Ideas featuring Zach and Liam. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so Marinella, tell us us what you're doing in Montreal if you're you're an American. Are you lost? (laughs) Um, Yes, but in a good way. (laughs) Um, So, I don't know. So, a little bit more about me. was fr- I am from California, went to school in Boston, um, then went to Europe for about a year and a half, and then backpacked around Asia for about six months. And I was tired of like visas, and I just wanted to go somewhere with it, like to give me a new experience, to learn a new language. And so being dual citizen with Canada and the US, I was like, well, that kind of just leaves me Quebec, no visas and new language and such. Um, so not lost in the sense like I picked here purposely, but lost in the sense of traveling, like just trying new places and exploring new things. So 
Was it much of a decision? Like, did you have a bunch of other places that you were considering, or was it just Montreal? Um, for this particular fork in the road, it was just Montreal. Um, but through the past couple of years, it's I've been my plans have changed. So when I first graduated university, I was like, oh, I'll spend four years in Europe, um, a year in different countries doing working holiday visa. Um, but then <laughs> I only spent a year and a half there. Life changed and then went to Asia. And then I was thinking, oh, maybe I would go to Chile. But then I was like, oh, I have to do the visa process again and, and different things. So basically under the criteria of what I had of, I don't want to do the paperwork because government bureaucracy and having a new cultural experience. Yeah. It pretty much just led to Quebec, Montreal specifically because it is pretty bilingual. And at the time I didn't speak any French. Um, so I figured I could get at least some type of job in Montreal versus like Quebec city. And this whole travel escapade that you've embarked on, I'm assuming it, it probably wasn't your goal coming out of university. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you had some sort of aspiration to use your degree in some sort, or are you using your degree? <laughs> um, no, it, it was kind of the point, um, after graduating. So, uh, how do I, I guess from the beginning. So I was fortunate to be born into two, two parents that are very active travelers. Um, so they kind of instilled the love of travel for me. So when I graduated high school, um, I took a gap year and traveled around the world before going to university. Um, and then in university, I studied abroad for six months in Argentina. And so afterwards I was like, well, I could take more time off and travel or yes, I can go into the corporate world, um, and go into marketing, um, which is my, my degree. And so part of me was like the New York city life, you know, working in a marketing agency in Manhattan and all these cool things. But then I was mm -hmm. like, well, when's the next time I have this opportunity to travel? I don't have a mortgage. I don't have kids. I don't have like, you know, a car payment or anything like now is kind of the time. So when I went to Prague, I decided to teach English, but at the same time, I managed to find a job at a small startup doing marketing. Um, and then when I traveled to Asia, it was just travel, no working. And then here in Montreal, I got a few jobs in marketing, but then, um, we can dive into this later, but I decided to start my own business. So now I have my own marketing agency, which it allows me to be like a digital nomad. So that's pretty cool. A digital nomad. That sounds, uh, appealing to say the least. <laughs> Um, I know me and Liam, or Liam and I, we like to travel as well. Not quite to the extent that you have, but um, what is the whole lifestyle of a digital nomad? Mm, I guess it depends on the nomad. Um, for me, I like being in a place for kind of a longer period of time to really absorb the culture. Um, mm -hmm. I don't mind like two days here, two days there, two days, whatever. But, um, for example, I did like a work away in Belgrade, Serbia for three weeks just to like really absorb the city and kind of get more of like a routine there. Um, same thing with Prague and stuff. Um, and now here for sure in Montreal. Um, so for me, a digital nomad is being able to live in like one spot for six months or a year fully like absorb into it. Um, and then move somewhere else for another year, fully absorb into it. Um, and et cetera, et cetera. So what advice would you give to somebody who's, who wants to go to a place like Europe, but has never traveled before and wants to do it on kind of a tight budget? 
yeah, so deciding to move abroad is pretty scary, um, for sure. Uh, so my first advice would be to practice making that big, scary step is to do little scary steps. Um, so either like explore a new city in your state or explore a new section of your city, um, your current city, and just kind of make little steps like that. Like if you really wanted to do a Zumba class or try a new painting class, like do it. So then when you make that huge decision of moving abroad, it won't seem as scary because you've done all these little steps. You've, you practiced, I guess. Um, so that would be like my first big advice. Um, and then in terms of moving abroad in general, another advice is, um, find something, uh, you can do, uh, like teaching English or being a nanny or work away. Work away for sure is a big one for being on a budget because you exchange work with housing and food. So when I was in Belgrade, Serbia, I was working at a hostel. They gave me free housing and free breakfast at a restaurant, which is pretty unique um, every day that I was there. Uh, and I just had to like strip down the beds and put on new sheets in the hostel. And that was pretty much it. And I only worked like five out of the seven days. Um, so work away or work exchanges is a great way. Um, couch surfing, um, either using that program, which I just got an email from them saying that they were going to be charging membership, which is sad because it was free, but there's a lot of Facebook groups that offer a sort of a similar thing where people will host you and you can stay on their couch for free and, you know, just like buy them a beer or something. Um, yeah. Uh, hostels are great. Um, busing, Ryanair in Europe especially is awesome. I found it even cheaper than buses or trains. So, and it's a lot faster. Hmm. So there, yeah, there's so many ways to travel on a budget a hundred percent. Yeah. Funny that you mentioned uh, couch surfing because that was something that I've, well, I've done before quite a decent amount and it really disappointed me to hear that they uh, well, I didn't hear about the membership thing, but when I tried logging into the website recently, they wanted to charge me just to get into it. Yeah. Yeah, they were saying in the email that because they don't have like ads anymore, I guess because of COVID, no one wants to pay for ads on the site because no one's actually traveling, maybe. And they're trying to promote it. That's only like $2 a month or however much it was. It wasn't like that expensive, but it kind of sucks going from like a free service to a paid service. Um, and especially since there are other opportunities to do it free, like I said, those Facebook groups and such. And what long-term effects do you think it'll have on this company? It's hard to say. I think they will lose customers. Um, but as my boyfriend pointed out, one thing with couch surfing that you don't really get with Facebook groups is the reviews. Um, so you can actually see if like the person you potentially will stay with is a weirdo or you might not get along, like maybe they're fine, but you just don't have similar interests or what have you. Um, so on Facebook groups, you don't really have those reviews. So maybe out of security, some people would pay for a membership just to have, um, social, what's the word I'm looking for? Social, um, approval or what have you. I want to go back to what you said about what, how you like to, to travel. Like, so some people like to go somewhere for a week and like, that's it. They're good. Um, mm -hmm. and you yourself, you said you like to go somewhere and just really ingrain yourself. Um, how did you figure out that that's kind of what you preferred over just the short, short trips? 
I don't know if I even had an opportunity to like test both again from my parents. They've just taken me on longer trips. Like every summer growing up, my dad and I would do at least a month road trip around North America. So it was just kind of in my growing up experience that it was longer trips. Um, yeah. And then as, as I got older and was, you know, planning my own trips, funding my own trips, it just, it's more cost effective. You can pay, I don't know, 400, $500 round trip or whatever, depending, you know, where you are in North America to go to Europe for a week, or you pay the same price for a month. So I don't know, for me, it it just, Mm -hmm. I didn't really have a choice. It was kind of like long distance was just, or not long distance, long trips were just ingrained into me. Right. Cause like accommodation is like a month of rent, which if if you compare it to like a hotel rate, it's way more cost effective. Yeah. I, I rarely stayed in hotels. Um, a lot of hostels, couch surfing. I had a lot of Europe or I have a lot of European friends. So, um, was able to stay with them too. Um, and in Asia, it's super cheap. South America is in the middle, um, some places like Argentina and Chile could be a bit more expensive, but like Peru and Bolivia are, are very cheap. Um, but yeah, some some nights Eastern Europe and Asia, I was paying I don't know like six dollars a night. Um, and then there's a kitchen, so I could cook my own meals. Um, Italy, it was very hard because Italy has such great food, but it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. So I was like trying to balance like my love for food and being in Italy, but like <laughs> I need to be cost effective and like cook my own stuff at the hostel and i guess the other thing with uh doing long-term travel is that the plane ticket over there is so expensive anyways why wouldn't you just stay a little bit yeah exactly i had friends that uh went to uh southeast asia and they said that their trip was like i can't remember numbers but like extremely cheap compared to the some some of the other trips they could have gone on um tell us a bit about uh, your experience with that like did you like thailand kind of thing is what i'm thinking of um yeah so i have been to thailand before but this this six month period um i was in the philippine well china taiwan philippines malaysia cambodia um yeah in the philippines it's super cheap i got certified um for scuba diving, went on a bunch of dives. Um, and it was significantly, I don't remember numbers off the top of my head, but it was significantly less than my friend who got certified in Australia and did it in Australia. Um, and I still had a lot of money left over to like keep traveling the Philippines and the rest of the countries I went to. Um, yeah, Cambodia, I found, was a bit more expensive for Southeast Asia. Um, it, it's still pretty cheap in comparison to Western standards, but because there are so many tourists that go there, they know they can charge a bit more. Um, mm-hmm. So, for example, one museum, uh, it was like $10, $15 to go in, which is like, okay, pretty standard museum price for a tourist. But then you look at the local price, and it was like $0.10. Cents. And yeah, I understand, so like... <laughs> Like, I, I'm all for, like, the locals having, like, a different price because, you know, presumably their tax dollars pay for it and all these things. But I was like, that's, I don't even know. That's, like, a huge difference, 15 cents versus $15. Um, so, yeah, I just, 
I don't know, Cambodia was to me a bit more on the expensive side, but like I said, it's still cheaper than traveling like New York City or something. Do you have a, a favorite place that you've been? <laughs> uh, I sort of hate this question. Um, I, I assumed you would. <laughs> uh, I don't have like a favorite, but I can tell you top, like the top five places I always talk about. Um, so I love them a lot, but I couldn't tell you which ones first. It sounds like a Watch Mojo post. <laughs> oh, Watch Mojo. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so Buenos Aires. Argentina, absolutely love. Um, I'm a bit biased, though, because I was there for six months. Um, well, six weeks first and then six months um, the second time. Um, Belgrade, Serbia, loved it. Valparaiso, Chile, absolutely loved it. I was there less than a week, but um, beautiful street art. It's right on the coast. Um, I just had a good time, met a lot of great people in the hostel. Um, and that really, I find, sways my opinion of the place if I meet like people I click with and Belgrade was the same sure. my first week there. I met so many amazing people that I still keep in contact today. Um, and then, um, there's three, what are my other two that I normally say? Malaysia. I loved Malaysia. It's the country, but, um, they have amazing food. I was also there around Ramadan. So like in the evenings, it was just food central. It was amazing. I, I want to go back just to eat. Um, <laughs> and then this is more an activity rather than like a city or whatever, but in Naples, everyone knows of Pompeii, but not everyone knows of Paestum, which are Greek ruins in Italy, actually. Um, oh, but because they're not really well known, um, uh, because they're Greek ruins, so Italy doesn't want to promote them. And then they're in Italy. So Greece doesn't want to promote them. Um, so <laughs> I found it was like completely empty. I could wander through the ruins. I could touch the temples. Um, like I, it was really just me and the temples there. And so that, that was an awesome experience and I keep promoting Paestum. So I'm like, Oh no, I don't want it to be like overrun with people now. Not that I'm like a major influencer, but you know what I mean? Just, I loved how mm -hmm. it was like, nobody knew about it. And now I'm like, go to Paestum. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess since you've been to so many countries and and you probably haven't stayed anywhere this long term, right? But uh, how many languages do you know? I just know three. Um, I mean, I can kind of understand Tagalog from the Philippines, um, but in terms of actually conversing, um, three, English, Spanish, and now French. How long did each of those take to pick up? Well, English is my native language, so, <laughs> um, but Spanish, it's kind of hard to say. I started learning Spanish in high school, but you know, it's just like an hour a day, not every day. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I, I wouldn't call it like actually learning. Then I went to Spain on my gap year for three months. And I think that's where it got to like coffee conversational, where I can just have like a basic conversation. Um, well, and I wouldn't be afraid to like speak to strangers, but Argentina really like brought it up to a working proficiency, um, where like now I can work in Spanish. So I guess if you combine Spain and Argentina, um, nine months, um, but of course, since it's not my native language, I like, it's my second language. It's not even like I grew up with it with my mom or something. I, um, 
you know, always have to keep practicing it. Otherwise I'll get rusty and I could potentially lose Mm -hmm. it. Right. Um, in terms of French, I'm at intermediate, like conversational level, not yet working proficiency. And I started learning it now about a year. So, so, I know that Spain, Spanish, and Argentine and Spanish are just a little bit different in terms of dialect and accent. Mm-hmm. So how is that for you, going from one to the other? <laughs> um, at the beginning, it's hard, for sure. Um, but now I'm very, like, I, I dated someone who was from Spain. Um, so I got used to the Spanish accent really well. And after living there for a couple months, um, Argentina as well, like, I lived there. So it was fine. Um, but Going into Chile, for example, this was at the end of my six months in Argentina. I was like, yeah, I got this. I know Spanish. Like, I'm pro, whatever, have, like, really big ego. And I get off the plane in Chile, (laughs) and I understood nobody. Like, I was like, did I leave my Spanish on the plane? Like, where did it go? And it took me a couple days to get used to their accent. Um, It's that different, huh? Yeah, and they have a lot of different, like, slang. they just like make up their own words, um, Chile particularly, and native speakers will tell you that Chile is is a very interesting Spanish country. Um, so it really just depends on the person and their accent and if they're like very slang oriented. One of my Mexican friends, she uses a lot of, a lot of slang that I'm not used to. So now I've been picking that up. Mm. Um, but Luckily, in my experience, it's been well in the sense that I usually speak with a native Spanish speaker or someone that learns Spanish from like Argentina or Spain. So when I use certain words, they understand what I'm saying and they know I'm not a native. So then they'll like be neutral. However, with my current boyfriend, he speaks Spanish as well um, as his second or third language. I'm not sure what he would qualify, I guess, third. Um, But he learns Spanish in Mexico. So when we speak to each other, sometimes we have to translate it into English or French because we use different vocabulary and different slang. But since okay. neither of, one of us are native, we don't have that like dictionary vocabulary in our head. Right. So it's very interesting. It's the first time with him that I've had that experience of like, we're speaking Spanish, but I don't know what you're saying because you're using <laughs> totally different vocabulary than I'm used to. Hmm. So I guess for non native English speakers, it would be like moving to America for three months and then moving to New Zealand. Yeah, no, exactly. I was watching a a TV show like Black Mirror or something. I can't remember where it was from, but um, it was set in England, like Northern England, and they had a strong accent. And I had French subtitles on to practice my French. And I had to read the subtitles because I couldn't understand what they were saying in terms of slang. Like they were using expressions (laughs) I've never heard of. So I had to read the French subtitles to understand what they were saying. So even for native speakers, it's it's hard. And I guess in your experience learning languages, is it something that you actually really have to work at or is just kind of living and immersing yourself in those cultures enough? Um, so I think for me personally, I've kind of had a little edge up than um, my father, for example. He's been trying to learn Spanish ever since he was like 20 and now he's almost 60 and he's sort of conversational. Um, Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. He hates and loves me at the same time. He, he's very proud (laughs) of my speaking abilities, but he hates that I, it didn't take me so long, but for me, cause I grew up with my mother, she's from the Philippines. So I heard her speaking Tagalog a lot. So I think it like trained my brain to 
understand a different language and like different sounds. But then also what I tell my students, because I, I, te- I still teach English, three ways to learn a language um, that I have done and it seems to work is one, taking classes, okay? Um, two, immersing yourself um, in that language, so going to that country that speaks it and only speaking that language and only having friends from that language. Because if I go to France and live there, but only hang out with Americans, well, that that's kind of pointless, right? Yeah. Um, and then last is to date someone of that language. Because yes, you can do intercambios, which is like a language exchange, um, which I, I do, but that person isn't as isn't going to be as patient as someone that, you know, you're sleeping with. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> which one of my students might, I don't say this to my little kids cause, yeah. but, um, <laughs> my, my adult students, uh, my one, she was like, so are you saying we have to always divorce our husbands when we move to a new country? And I was like, no, that's, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. You know, I can, I can side with what you're saying, uh, very well. I actually, um, I went to Romania for three months during a a ten month time where I was doing school in Europe. Uh, nice. Long story. Yeah, but uh, I actually dated a girl who went to my school, and she was Romanian herself. And I was trying to learn the language because, I mean, you know, why not? You yeah. know, you're in the country. Why not at least try and learn their language? I I hate it when people don't do that. Yeah. And uh, she helped me a lot. And I remember one night in particular, we um, we were walking around and uh, we just sat down and had a drink together and just started talking Romanian. And it was, I think I learned more that night than any other night because she was super accepting when I would mess up. But she was also, she gave me enough criticism to where I was able to improve. And I think that's something that you'll really get with those relationships with uh, speakers of the native language. So you've talked about it a little bit, but what's it been like, like dating and kind of traveling around at the same time? Like, is that kind of how it works? Like you decided that you want to leave and then you just kept the breakup or? (laughs) Uh, Sort of. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) That's okay if that's what it's like. (laughs) Well, it's not like my intention, but um, when I was dating my ex who, is was from spain um and i like my time with my visa was ending in europe and stuff and i was like well i haven't i've been wanting to go to the philippines for a while because the last time i was there before this past last time was when i was like 12 it's 12 years ago or at the time 12 years ago and um so i was like now this is my opportunity to go like i found a really cheap ticket um, like I'm just, I'm going to go, I'm going to travel around Asia and then I'm, I'll make my way back, um, to Europe and then like to be with you, whatever. And I bought my ticket and I left. And then my first month in Asia when I was in the Philippines, um, yeah, he like, we Skyped and he was like, I can't, I can't take it. And then we broke up. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, but, uh, my current boyfriend, um, He's he's looking into like the van life and and traveling okay. around too. So so hopefully I I, I don't need to leave him <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a tricky situation when uh, you start getting involved with people around the world. And do you find that like it it upsets you often? Just like having to constantly be 
ending relationships and then starting new ones and then <laughs> um yeah i mean it's always hard when like even romantic non-romantic ones too um mm-hmm. like just friendship ones it is hard um you build a connection with someone even if it's like you were just traveling with them for three days like not even that long um but when you're traveling i i've realized that i share who i truly am with people i'm traveling with um rather than people that i'm like settled like the people I went to university with or high school with or here in Montreal, they kind of know a different Marinella than someone I met in a hostel. And I think it's because in a hostel, you you have to make fast friends um, because you know like you're only going to be there for a limited time. They're only going to be there for a limited time. So you share more of who you are. You're just more trustworthy, like trusting, like this is who I am. If you don't like it, well, I don't have time to like be nice to you. So if you don't like who I am, then move off type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've really developed bonds with people that I met while traveling and yeah, no, it, it's definitely sad when, when I leave uh, or they leave. I remember one of my friends who I consider my brother and we, we met in Belgrade. He was one of the people I met for in that week. And then we met again a couple of weeks later and traveled for a couple of days. And that was the last time I saw him. And I remember when he like got in the taxi to go to the airport um, the hostel owner knew that we were really close and he looked at me and he was like, are you going to cry now? And I was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then, yeah, I did cry a little bit, but, um, the, the hostel owner's like, what are you a baby? <laughs> yeah, sort of. I, I don't, he was just like teasing me in like kind of a funny way, but like, leave me alone. Um, so I just, but I just know that like, that's how, for me, like, that's how it is. Like friends come, friends go, but with the beauty, that's the beauty of the internet. Like we can still be connected through Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp. Um, we can Skype, Zoom, whatever. So it's not like total like cut off. And, um, it's actually funny. Mm-hmm. Two of my friends, they happen to be German. I met them separately in, in Spain. Um, and I just kept in contact with them over the years and, and all this stuff. And both of them separately, like messaged me like randomly, like, Oh, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Yeah, I'm pregnant. Or, yeah, I just gave birth. I'm like, you don't just, like, say that. Like, you just don't be like, yeah, I have a daughter now. I'm like, what? Why are you? Like, okay. Yeah, congratulations. But it was just, like, so random. Like, oh, yeah, I'm pregnant. Uh, Oh, okay. Like, it's just, like, offhanded. I'm like, it's not an offhanded thing. Like, it's kind of a big deal. But Uh, You got to wait, like, five texts deep. Yes, or sort of. Or, like... (laughs) I don't know. Like we're talking about, like, I remember one, it was exactly like, I was like, Oh, Hey, how are you? She's like, yeah, I'm fine. Oh, well actually I'm pregnant. I was like, what? Yeah. I think when, I think those travel friendships are great. I think they're awesome, especially cross-culturally. Cause you, you get to meet somebody who was raised in a different way that you are. And mm-hmm. sometimes you can really click with that person and that's wonderful. But it's also really hard when you just kind of lose contact with somebody that you met while traveling because it's happened to me for sure. I actually mm-hmm. got back, we're nearing, we're coming up on two years in August from um, a big trip that I actually went on. As much as I hate to say, you know, I, I left the trip with a bunch of friends and I was like, man, this is sweet. I've never had so many friends in my life. I don't even know how to express this type of emotion. This is wonderful. And then 
you know, skip two years later and I don't talk to 95% of those people, unfortunately. Like, there were some people where I kind of tried harder than others to stay in contact with. You know, that being said, I, I don't talk to most of them now. And that's very unfortunate, but it is the way it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that definitely, I can't keep in contact on a daily basis with everyone for sure. Um, I do try. Uh, my dad says if I like go at the pace I'm going, then I will never like live in the real world. I'll just always be texting someone on my phone. <laughs> but, but I found that, um, uh, for example, the, these two women I was just telling you about that are, that were, are pregnant. Um, like sometimes I didn't talk to them for a few years. And then when I moved to Europe, I like sent them a message being like, Hey, I'm in Prague. Um, I want to see you guys. And, and then it was like, no time has passed. Um, and then I wow. like hung out, like one invited the one, one of the ones invited me to her wedding. Um, so, which was kind of weird too, um, because I was like the only friend of hers, like the rest were his friends or like family members. And I was like, I don't know if I like feel comfortable being your friend <laughs> representative. Um, <laughs> Plus, it was all in German, and I don't speak German, so it was like, yeah, yeah, danke schön. <laughs> but awesome. um, yeah, that's the only one I remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I just find like, yeah, you drop off, but at least my friends, they even after a few years, they are open to reconnecting. Yeah, I'm just thinking of. Like, and I, and it's been a while since I've thought about these people. Cause I'm kind of like, I just, I'm off Instagram right now just cause I don't want to be on it right now. But a lot of the friends I made while I was traveling are in this on Instagram. And I, I'm just mm -hmm. like remembering them now. Like, uh, I met a couple of guys from New Jersey. Uh, it was kind of funny. We were at a, a bar crawl in Berlin and it was like all guys. <laughs> and, uh, we kind of just like singled each other out. Like our, I was with a partner and, uh, he, they were, they were together and we were just kind of like, this sucks, right? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And then yeah. we kind of just left and just went to a bar, hung out. And yeah, I, those are like the experiences that like really make the trips. It's just those little, just little moments that you spend just with, with total strangers. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm definitely one of those people in the bar that I will like make friends with someone in the bathroom and then come back and like we're BFFs. Um <laughs> So yeah, no bars are like, um, pub crawls and everything. Like they're, they're a great place to mm -hmm. meet people. So if you don't see anyone in a hostel, um, yeah, join a pub crawl. If anyone needs a recommendation, I highly recommend the Camden pub crawl. <laughs> <laughs> Most fun I had, I think my entire, I've, I only went to Europe for two weeks, but probably the most fun I had. Will do. <laughs> also alcohol. Like, it's just a great, um, like icebreaker. I don't know. Like I just find yeah. when you're drinking, people are more open and also there's like For this sure. commonality. Um, I don't know. Just like, you just tend to bond more over alcohol. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, it's so it's crazy. different right? than like drinking coffee or tea together. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like with coffee and tea, there's kind of like a, I feel like there's a little uppityness to it. Whereas, like, if you're drinking together, you go like, hey, what are you drinking? Uh, Coors Light or something. Like, <laughs> Ew, Coors Light. Just an example. I would never drink that. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, just like moments like that. It's, it's so easy to just turn to the person next to you 
and just strike up a conversation. Yeah. You guys are you guys specifically talking about Europe or are you talking about everywhere here? Everywhere. Uh, well, everywhere, yeah. But I guess I've mostly experienced it traveling. Hmm. Have you guys ever been to Minneapolis? I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. I think you guys would be surprised based off of the stuff you're saying. <laughs> Opposite or the same? Um kind of opposite because um people here usually go out with their friends like groups will connect with each other but individuals not so much i find that it's more smaller towns kind of like that but i mean how big is minneapolis do you know the population size yeah so it's two hundred thousand. i don't know i mean quebec it's probably like huge (laughs) Yeah, I think in Montreal we have a million or so. It's big, yeah. I've been there a couple remember. times. Yeah, I've only been in like big cities like that. Um, have you been skating on the uh on the mountain? Oh. Um I did do cross country skiing there once. Um it was my first time. It was interesting. <laughs> um I'm more of a downhill skier though. I don't know, the tracks it just like I like my curving and going downhill. I don't like this, I don't know, staying in, in the tracks. But um, but yeah, no, winter here, though, was kind of shitty. It's really cold. Well, no, I mean, like, it wasn't really winter. Like, the ponds, oh, like, really? you normally have free outdoor ice skating. And it, like, was only frozen enough for someone to go on it maybe one weekend. Um, yeah, no, this, the winter this year wasn't. It was pretty shitty as for, like, winter sports. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it it was long. I think we we just finally reached spring this week. (laughs) So. Yeah, I think this week is the first week here where it's been um, close to 80. I think we got up to 75. And the normal before that was about 50. Yeah. We just had a day that was 65, and I was... I wasn't quite in shorts, but I was pretty close. <laughs> well, being from California, that's just, I live for shorts and flip-flops. So having traveled around so much, would you say there were any particularly bad experiences with some of the people you met? Um, I mean, yeah, I guess. But for me... All experience is good experience because you learn something from it. So I don't really have like a specific terrible, bad experience. Um, One story I like to keep referring to is um, this guy I met on a bus from Bulgaria to Macedonia. He was a Macedonian local, um, but he just, I was like the only foreigner on this bus. And he came over and was like, hey, like, I know you're not Macedonian, Um, I've traveled a lot in America and I met so many great people there. I would like to return the favor and like show you around. And I was like kind of sketchy because it was like 10 o'clock at night on a bus. Um, but I was like, okay. So then the next day we met, but I like told everyone in my hostel, like I'm going over here, I'm in a public place, but like if I don't return, um, but yeah, he was like really fun. Like he took me to different like places to try different foods and drinks and like took me around and it was great. So we met up later um like a different day and also had a good time but 
on the way back to my hostel, he like, we were just talking about our childhoods or whatever. And I was like, yeah, you know, I did ballet when I was little, like as most little girls do. And he was like, oh, that's interesting. And I was like, why? And he was like, well, you don't have the shape of a ballerina. And I was like, what does that mean? And then he like holds up his pinky finger and he was like, you know, skinny. And I was like, okay. And then we kept talking, talking. And I was like, yeah, I miss running. Like I, I love running and this and that. And he was like, oh, don't worry. You'll, you'll get back into shape soon. And I was like, what the (laughs) holy. Um, but at this point we, we were at my hostel and I like left or whatever. And then like a couple months later he messaged me and he's like, when are you coming back? I miss you. And I was like, no, go away. Um, so like, I don't know. That's kind of like the only, like that would be like a bad experience, but at the end of the day, it wasn't like a bad experience. If you know what I mean? I actually had very similar experiences myself that happened, uh, quite often to me where stuff like that would be. Someone didn't think said, you did but, uh, ballet cause you weren't skinny enough. <laughs> yeah, that's specifically. <laughs> but I think a lot of people don't know the weight of their own words in English. And and so something that would be completely normal in their culture and in their language said in English doesn't really fit right. And I think, I, I don't know, maybe he meant it word for word. But in my experience, a lot of the people that would say stuff that initially I would perceive mean, I'd think about it and say, okay, well, if you take this in a more literal sense, it's not that bad. It's not like they're walking up to me and saying, fuck you, right? No, and you're absolutely correct. This is true. Maybe in Macedonian, it isn't as abrupt as in English. Um, But even still, it's kind of strange. Even like the idea of saying, oh, you don't look like you do ballet. Like, I mean, I did it when I was like six. <laughs> now I'm almost 30. So like, I'm like, oh, there's kind of a big difference in my body. But no, you're absolutely correct. Um, and that happens to me when I speak Spanish or French. Um, I say things that I would kind of do in English and the native speakers are like, yeah, no, it doesn't work like that. They understand what I mean, but there's a better way of phrasing things. I'm thinking of uh, in French, there's like a, there's a way to refer to like you as as like a respective in a respective way and mm-hmm. then just use casual and mm-hmm. yeah they get mixed up quite quite often and i guess they find that funny <laughs> yeah that's the same in spanish as well um yeah i kind of get away with it because they know i'm not native speaker so i don't it's really bad of me but i really i don't really try hard to do the difference <laughs> um <laughs> Because I just figure they, they'll hear my accent, they'll hear like how I'm speaking, and they'll just kind of like forgive me, which has worked. So, eh. Zach, do you know any French? Un peu. That means a little. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bonjour. <laughs> Salut. We, we could be here all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was in uh, Montreal... I guess about a, a year and a half ago, uh, my brother was um, in. He go. He was in school in uh, outside of uh, Montreal, like maybe forty five minutes. Okay. But me and my dad went and visited him, and then spent the night in uh, Montreal. We went to a restaurant, and uh, I walked in the front door, and I could read the sign, and the sign said to seat yourself, but I said it in French, so I went and sat sat down. Um, and the guy came over to us and started speaking to us in French. And I, I, he was 
one in a hushed tone <laughs> and two speaking so fast that I had no idea what he was saying. So I just kind of stared at him blankly and he's like, oh, do you speak English? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, thank God. And it turns out that this uh, restaurant owner uh, is, is from Ontario and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm from the... Woodbridge is a place in Ontario. And he's like, I'm from Woodbridge. No one ever comes here and can speak English. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, the Anglophones and Francophones. There's that. That was one interesting thing about coming to Montreal. The hierarchy, I guess you can say, um, how separate this island is. Um, yeah, it's it's very interesting to me. Like, there's the francophones, but then they're split between the Quebecois francophone and then the francophones from France. And then there's the anglophones, and the Quebecois anglophones are kind of like rated higher than us new people anglophones. And yeah, it's just it's crazy. And then there's at the very bottom are the people who don't even speak English or French as a native language. So I don't know. In that way, I don't really like Montreal in the sense that there's this like hierarchy system thing going on. And is it quite obvious? It's crazy. Yeah, I think so. Hmm. <laughs> I was going to ask what your day-to-day -day is like. Um. So now, I don't know. I don't well, really I have guess, like a... I guess like pretend it's not the end of the world. No, I know. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, in general, because I was, I was working from home before COVID anyways. So, but I don't really have like a set day-to-day -day routine. Um, it's basically work stuff, work on stuff for my clients, work on stuff for myself, um, work on my travel blog, um, network, um, search for new clients, um, go on a run or bicycle or whatever. Um, yeah, it kind of just like gets mixed up today. I had a few calls with potential clients, um, with networking, um, and then I was also working on something for myself. I'm thinking of starting a course online. Um, so in the planning stages for that market research for that. Um, so, so yeah, um, I guess it's a bit more socially entertaining than <laughs> membranes, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, cause as I'm creating Fair. like pins for Pinterest and, I don't know, designs, like website design and stuff. But um, yeah, other than that, it's not too too fantastical, I guess. Um, on my run today, I found a desk on the side of the street, Montreal. I don't know if it's like this in your guys' cities, but <laughs> in Montreal, there's a lot of like people put out their furniture and then it's just very normal for people to take it. Mm -hmm. um, so I found a desk. And so this later afternoon, early evening, I was scrubbing it down um and polishing it up so nice free furniture that's always fun yep yep today i woke up and i walked outside i had a notebook sat beside me eventually i picked up the notebook and thoughts just kind of started coming to my head so i wrote them down thought by thought i came to the realization that i appreciate different genders at different stages of life. And so I was like, I don't, I don't really know what made me think of this, but um, I actually, I, I was a sports coach before this whole COVID thing hit. And I was, you know, very clearly a non-essential worker. So I got cut pretty clearly. And so I teach little kids how to play sports. And uh, 
how it went usually was like most of the little boys were really athletic, but they couldn't listen for shit. And then the little girls weren't as athletic, but they were really good listeners. And so I think that's what sparked that thought of, well, if I had to choose, who would I rather teach, right? And that sparked a whole thought. And I wrote down like, all right, this stage of life, this stage of life, this stage of life. And it went all the way from birth to death. So it was was definitely a weird one, but it got my brain working, which I guess was the whole point. It's a very interesting idea, topic. Um, As a teacher for young kids also, um, I think, like for me, I would say little girls (laughs) more than boys. Um, but also it's not necessarily sports, like in the classroom, you want them to sit still rather little boys. They just want to like run around and jump on each other. So it's kind of more leaning towards wanting to teach little girls in that sense, but it's interesting. Zach, what's your take? Uh, I've also had the pleasure to work with, uh, younger children and yeah the 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 boys are often rambunctious and do often like to create conflict so i too like uh the either more mild-mannered boys or just girls in general they're easier zach have you ever had this thought where (laughs) you'll work with a child and then you'll be like is this what i was like when i was this age oh yeah yeah. i have (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then I've, I have some clear thoughts where oh I was definitely not this bad when I was this age <laughs> also then girls around puberty years I could just skip those because I've had some teenage girls like 13 14 no I can like from 10 till I don't know 18 I think I can skip those for girls <laughs> wow but then 19, you're good. 19 on up. Well, you're good. like, you know, when they enter university, there's, I don't know, <laughs> they kind of mature up a little bit more, I guess. But also, I am a female. So, you know, mothers and daughters type things. So I feel like a 14 year old girl and then me, even though I'm not her mother, but there's still like, I don't know what it is, some tension or something. Because um, in my experience, like seeing that, like, and then a guy teacher walks into the room and then all of a sudden they behave so well. I'm like, really? Control your hormones. <laughs> yeah. The biggest thing was when I would get a kid that was like either really late middle school or early high school. And that was really rare for the program that we were in. Um, usually the oldest kids would go up to was like 12. Mm. But we would occasionally get one of those kids that was a little bit older than the rest. And, you know, I'm looking at this kid and it's like, We're not that far in age, and that to me is super weird because I have to, like, be the adult here and I have to teach you all Mm -hmm. this stuff, but really you're not that far off yourself from being where I am. And so that to me was just a whole whole mindfuck for a while, but eventually I was able to get over it and say, you know what, they're they're still kind of a kid, so I'll kind of treat them like one the best that I can because I'm trained to teach, like, kids, so, like, 6 to 12-ish. Yeah, now... For me, it's um, getting to that point where I'm old enough to be their parent. And then that, that's more freaky, in my opinion. There is something, though, to, like, 
for lack of a better phrase, figuring out a young boy. And then you kind of like rein him in and he's like under your control now. It's kind of like feeling of accomplishment. How so? How do you, quote, figure them out? Well, you kind of figure out how to get them to listen, I guess. So like what techniques you can use to either calm them down or I guess make them think about their own actions. And it's like a kind of like a fun experiment that you get to like because I was a camp counselor and it was like each each week there's a new batch of kids and new brains to figure out. Um, So it was kind of like a fun challenge every week to try to figure out how to get each kid to listen. When you said figure them out, I thought you meant uh, personality wise as opposed to behavior wise. Well, both. But I I was only with uh, groups a week. Um. So it's hard to, like, really get to know someone, I think, in a week. Plus, like, it's not like I was talking to them about, like, their families and stuff. It's kind of like, oh, you want some tips on how to shoot this bow and arrow? Like, <laughs> oh, look, yeah. this is a maple tree. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Man, based on those two things, I can just imagine how great of a camp counselor you are. I'd like to think I was a good one, but I don't know. <laughs> I, had a, uh, I had a camp name. My uh, my my counselor name was Euro, because uh, at the time I was a big soccer player, and the the Euro like tournament was happening at the same time. Hmm. So I was called uh, Euro for an entire summer one year. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. It was neat. My camp counselor name when I was a counselor was Liam. <laughs> oh, so creative. <laughs> yeah. Right. Have you guys ever had any really, like, super behavioral kids? Mm-hmm. What was your experience like? Uh, so this was, it was actually, a, it was actually brothers that were, like, equally as bad. And it was, like, constantly just either, like, flat out running away or, um, like, f- trying to fight other kids, and it w- I had to, like, call, like, the head counselors, like, every time I had this kid, because some of the kids would come back week after week, because I guess their parents didn't want to be stuck with them. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was just a lot of deferring of power to higher-ups, so I didn't have to deal with it. <laughs> There's only so much I was trained for. Right, yeah, exactly. For teaching, it was, again, she was 13. And she just, I don't know, had, I don't know what, she just wanted attention. I have no idea, but she was just causing so much. She just looked at another girl in class one day and she was like, you're ugly. And then she tried (laughs) saying, she was like, no, I meant the window was ugly. I'm like, what? And she called me a fat cow in French and like some other stuff. And I did the same thing, just like called my boss to like handle it, who then called her mom and then her mom yelled at her in front of everyone. And I was like, I don't think that is a good idea, but okay. Mm. Starts to kind of give you an idea where the problem came from. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, it really sucks when a kid does just enough to where you can't do much about it. Yeah, like it's not within your power to fix it. Right. As for me, I don't think I've had any too bad, but uh, usually what would happen is, um, for example, if the sport of the day was tennis, right, we'd have a head person watching over four tennis courts, we'd have four coaches, one on each court, 
and then we'd have the head guy just watching over everything, making sure everything's okay. And if anybody was, you know, really not <laughs> not doing okay in the head, for lack of a better word, <laughs> and uh, behaving certain ways towards other people, then I'd just say, yo, Doug, we got a, we got a wrangler over here. And then they'd head on over and they'd literally <laughs> look dead in the eye of the kid and be like, yo, it's time to stop. And they do like as much as they possibly could without being verbally or physically abusive towards the kid. Which you'd be surprised at the lengths that uh, some of my bosses went to for that. Yeah, I actually had to use my body as like a physical barrier so this one kid wouldn't beat up another kid. <laughs> and that's and that's what they told us to do. They said you can't grab them or anything. You just have to stand in between them because that's like really the only one legal thing you can do and two is like the only real advantage you can you can have without touching them is your size cuz these are like 7-year-olds so typically everyone was taller than them. Yeah, and also you really don't want to get in trouble with their parents no. by like, no. oh, you gave my kid a hug when you're like holding them back from oh man hurting another kid, you yeah, know? that's a nightmare. Oh. Yeah, even like piggybacks, people would get in trouble for that. Or hand-holding is another one. Like with, with little kids, it's different, but when you get to the, uh, you know, when kids don't really need to be holding anyone's hand. Right. And uh, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate, but uh, we live in a different world today than we did, you know, decades ago. So, yeah. So if people want to learn more about me or see more of my travels or whatever, connect with me if they have any further questions on traveling or long distance cycling or what have you. Um, my user, um, social handles are my open passport and my blog is myopenpassport.net. Um, or connect with me via my other website, marinellayule.com. All right, everybody. This has been The Social Gathering with Liam and Zach. And Zach, where can you find us? You can find our podcast on Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many other smaller podcast platforms, as well as YouTube. And when do we stream on YouTube? On YouTube, we stream at... 7 p.m. Central. 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern. And uh, Zach, do you have any more... Maybe one more big important question. Yeah. So Marinella, with myself being from Toronto and Liam being from Minneapolis, which one do you think is closer to the equator? Mm. My first instinct's Toronto, but then I'm thinking it's a trick question and it's the same distance. Final answer? Uh, Toronto, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's surprisingly south. Detroit is north and Windsor is south of Detroit. So. Oh, really? Yeah, like, yeah. My relatives, when they lived in Detroit, they would go north to Canada, but then they would have to go south first to, to go to Windsor. Oh, weird. Yeah. Never noticed that. Well, thanks uh, very much for your time this evening. Uh, had a great talk. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Yep. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, to everybody listening, I hope you have a great night 
or a great evening or a great afternoon. Goodbye.